Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hi, welcome back to Action 22's Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. I'm Brian McCain. We have a really great show for you today. We've got Holly Velasquez Horvath from the, uh, she's the Senior Director of State Affairs for Excel Colorado. Excel has been the talk of the town or end of the state, actually, um, in the last little bit. They're doing some really bold, um, a little bit scary, um, really breaking out of their box uh, comfort zone. And they're setting the way for a lot of energy. Um, and that's all we've been talking about in Colorado lately is a lot of energy. So we're going to have her on in a minute. Um, a little bit later, we're going to talk with, uh, and we're going to invite you to call in. We had a long, t- long time Greater Pueblo Chamber Director Rod Slyhoff um, passed away earlier this week on Monday. Um, and we've all felt it and we're all going to feel it for a really long time. So we're going to invite uh, you uh, who are listening live to call in in a little bit and just share your memories memories about Holly. Um, and then we've had some other really cool and interesting things happening. Um, and so we'll talk, we'll get into that in a second. But first, I want to welcome Holly. Holly, thanks so much for joining us today. Holly is, uh, I met Holly a couple of years ago. Um, and she is just so, she's just so fantastic. Um, Holly, are you there? Hi, Sarah. Thank oh, there you. you are. Hi. Hi. I'm, it was so great to meet you a couple of years ago when we had, um, we had, uh, it was one of my very first events with Action 22 and Ashley Valdez, who we are both big fans of, uh, brought you in and, and introduced you and, and we just loved having you. It felt like you had been um, a part of Pueblo and a part of this whole region for such a long time. Um, and of course, I don't think anybody loves you as much as, as Ashley Valdez does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love her just as much. We are so lucky to have her as our area manager in that region. Um, She just does tremendous work and she's always thoughtful and really wants to work with all of our stakeholders. So we're really lucky to have her. She does. And it's not just here in Pueblo, but her area is really almost the exact same footprint as the Action 22 footprint. And everywhere you go, people just love her. Every event that we're at, if you go down and they're just Ashley Valdez, she's so fantastic. So, So you guys have some really... Um, interesting things going on. Now, you're going to have to help us out. Uh, there's a lot of acronyms around what yes. we do, and there's a lot of people who have no idea what's happening. But there was a, I'm going to back up for just a second. There was a big, you made a big commitment a year or two ago to reduce the your carbon footprint by, uh, to, by 80% um, by 2030. Now, there's that is correct. A, there's been a whole lot uh, recently that's been going on about that. So let's start with the R, the ERP or the electric resource plan that you guys announced like a week or so ago. Yeah, absolutely. And first off, thanks for having me. And when we met, just, uh, you know, quite interesting is one of the first times that I had started talking with Pueblo and the, you know, your community in Action 22 about our most recent, right, not our future, but our our last electric resource plan, which was our Colorado Energy Plan. And we and started working with Action 22 and Pueblo community when we were retiring Unit 1 and Unit 2, which are the two coal plants at Comanche. We still have Unit 3 that is, you know, operating, which we can talk about, you know, here shortly. But that was when we met was when we started talking about, you know, retiring unit one and unit two. And you guys were such great partners. You gave us a lot of feedback. You worked with us, um, helped us, you know, have the conversations with our communities. And you guys have just been such terrific partners. So thank you for your leadership and your insight as we navigate, uh, you know, this region and Colorado through this clean energy transition. So thanks for that. Well, thanks, Holly. We, we loved um, working with you. But here's the thing. We're talking about making a huge transition. This isn't a change. This is transformational differences in how we do everything and energy surrounds everything. 
And when we're talking, these are, these are never light topics. These are always very heavy and have to think out of outside the box. In this. Um, I want to go back and do one, a little more history. Um, and just so you know, we have a lot of listeners from around the country. We have listeners um, from Canada and Europe, and we even have listeners from China. So there's a whole big process in Colorado um, and it surrounds, you guys have to get permission to do just about anything. And it's the, with the Public Utilities Commission. So will you talk about how you have to, this, you guys can't just come up with a plan and, and initiate anything. You have to go through this whole process. Will you talk about that for just a minute? Sure. So here in Colorado, we operate in eight states, uh, just for everybody, you know, to understand what we are. We're a regulated electric and gas utility company, and we operate in eight states. Colorado is one of our largest states. We serve 1.4 million electric customers and about 1.3 million gas customers. So we are the largest electric and gas regulated utility company here in Colorado. So what I mean by regulated, it's it's very easy to you know say we are regulated at every level of government, known to man. So by a city, by a county, um, by the state, there are different departments within the state government that we're regulated by, and we're regulated by the federal government in some aspects of our business. And so you know a lot of the work that we do a lot of the work that my team does is really think through how we work with our local governments how we work with our counties and our cities how we work with our state government in in you know pushing forward um, XL Energy's vision which to your point in 2018 we announced a really bold vision it was one of the first um, you know most aggressive most bold visions around clean energy transition uh, that we believe in the state and quite possibly, you know, the world. And that was, you know, we made a commitment to be carbon, 80% carbon free on our electric system by 2030 and 100% carbon free by 2050. Now, what was bold about that is we actually don't really know what it means to be 100% carbon free on the electric system by 2050. We have a pretty good sense, hopefully, with what um, we're filing in our upcoming electric resource plan to get us to that 80% carbon free by 2030. But we are depending on new technologies, research and development, and you know things that we may not even know exist today to get us to that 100% carbon free by 2050. And so that was what was really bold. It was for the first time ever a regulated utility company saying, we're not really sure how we're going to get there, but we think we can. And how do we incentivize our communities, our regulators, our policymakers to help us think through how we get there? And that leads us to this electric resource plan. So the Public Utilities Commission in Colorado uh, is where we file cases, we file programs, rates, how we set rates for our customers, and also what type of generation we are going to put on the system um, and what infrastructure is needed for to support that generation to serve our customers. And so the Public Utilities Commission is who is our governing oversight that decides at the end of the day how XL Energy moves forward in leading this clean energy transition, how we keep bills low for our customers, and what type of customer experience we offer to our customers. They decide those types of things, and we have to advocate and also get support from folks like Action 22 and our local communities to help us advocate to, you know, why this is a good thing, why this is a good thing for Colorado, why this is a good thing for our customers. So we announced last week um, an, uh, an electric resource plan that we are going to file on March 31st to get us to 85% carbon free on the electric system by 2030. So we are going 5% over and above what we thought we could, what was bold two years ago. And in addition to that, we're actually also proposing 80% renewable energy on that electric system. So think about that for a second. I mean, you know, there have been studies over the last five years that have, you know, basically said an electric utility cannot get 
beyond 80% or even beyond sometimes 70% when you factor in reliability and low cost to customers. And, it, and so we are saying, no, we think we can get to 80%. We have a plan. We believe that we can get to 80% renewable energy. So every customer on our system will be 80% renewable energy and 85% carbon free. And that is what we believe has been so bold and so exciting for the company that we announced last year. Now this is a process. So we have to file a plan we have to work with our communities. We have to, you know, get advocacy from our communities to support our plan. And we have to make the best case possible to our Public Utilities Commission that this plan is the right plan moving forward to help us reach our goals by 2030. And they're going to factor in a bunch of things. They're going to factor in what that generation looks like. They're going to factor in how we're working with our communities where we're retiring coal, um, you know, how are we working with our communities? Are we talking with our communities and thinking about how we transition our communities from the dependency on coal to the renewable energy? And we're also talking about what that rate impact is to our customers. Are we continuing to stay committed to keeping our bills low for our customers as we transition to this clean energy future? So it's really great stuff. And it's gonna take us about 18 months to two years to get approval of this plan. So this is very, you know, it's a long-term game for us in working with our commission, but we believe that we've got a great story and we've been working with our communities already and our policymakers, and we think that we are on the right track and we can make it by 2030 to reach this goal. Now, um, going into that, I know one of the, the question that's gonna be on everybody's mind, um, are we gonna see a difference in rate for the consumer? Like, is it going to be an increase? Is it going to stay the same? What are we looking at when it comes to that? Yes, absolutely. So this plan, this electric resource plan and adding 5,500 megawatts of renewable energy on the system, which gets us to the 80%, retiring, early retirement of our, you know, our one of our coal plants up in Route County in the town of Hayden, it's called our Hayden Generation Station. We are proposing the transition from uh, coal to gas in our Pawnee coal plan that's out in Brush, Colorado, uh, Morgan County. And then, you know, we've got unit three, which I had mentioned earlier would be our last coal unit on the system at Comanche in Pueblo County. And we are proposing to keep that operational through 2040. Uh, at by 2030, it'll be minimal operations, but we are continuing to keep that open and operating through 2040. That would be a 30 year early retirement. So it's still really aggressive. And with all of that comes all that cost back, Brian, to your point. And we've committed to keeping the costs at inflation rate. So our customers won't see a significant cost increase, but it is an increase in cost. Uh, but we think that we can keep it at the rate of inflation so that it's not something significant. Okay. And one interesting thing too, you know, we see Comanche power plant every day out our window. I could see it just out ours right now. Um, Comanche power plant, it does not actually serve Pueblo except for Everaz, correct? That is correct. Yes. So we serve gas in our Pueblo community, but we do not serve electric. That is served by Black Hills Energy. So what we do is we generate um, our, you know, our electricity out of Comanche and we ship it up on uh, the big transmission lines that you see coming out of that out of that plant right now. And it comes into the metro Denver area and serves the mass population of our customers in this in in that in that space. Uh, which leads me to transmission, right? You can't have all of this new generation. Um, on, you know, you can't put solar farms and wind farms and retire coal plants and do all of this transition without the, without the transmission lines. And that is another significant piece of this plan. And so in follow-up to our electric resource plan that we announced last week with all of this generation, just a couple of days ago, we also announced a massive transmission highway. So it's our power path Pathway is what we are calling it. It's in joint partnership with three, um, actually four other utility companies. So Black Hills is one of them. 
And uh, we are proposing to build a transmission highway out on the Eastern Plains where we have forecasted this renewable energy generation availability with, with the wind and solar. And that will be the new transmission highway that we can build and not only ourselves, but the other utility companies can tap into this transmission line and it offers enough capacity on those lines for us to build the generation necessary for us to not only meet our renewable energy and carbon-free goals by 2030, but it also offers the opportunity for the other utility companies that are partnering with us. So that's a $1.7 billion investment. Is that entirely on your shoulders or is it with the other power companies? It is, it is with the other power companies as well. So this is a partnership. And this is also something that's really unique. You know, usually uh, what we do is we file a CPCN for a, with our Public Utilities Commission uh, for an additional transmission build or infrastructure, but it's usually to service XL Energy and XL Energy customers. And so this is really about partnership. This is really about thinking about Colorado. So if we're thinking about Colorado and we're thinking about not only for ourselves as XL, but our other utility partners in the state, we think that this is the right decision to move forward in joint partnership with our other utility companies. This isn't really about XL Energy anymore. I mean, of course, it's about our customers and servicing our customers, but this is the long game for that clean energy transition and what that looks like with the other utility companies, all of Colorado, and how we can continue to move forward to meet some of the goals that have been outlined by the governor, right? Governor Polis, uh, our state legislators, our communities, and what our customers are asking for us. Our customers want this. So how do we do it in joint partnership and build a better future for Colorado and not just continue to think about our customers? And that's really where that transmission line comes into play. Now, there's been some concerns about this transmission highway. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What are the, I, I, we know what we've heard, but what are some of the concerns that you're hearing about that? Well, I will say, I, I don't know if it's much of what we are hearing, but I will say that I am a fifth generation Coloradan and my family is from Swatch, uh, Swatch County. And, you know, I grew up down in, um, you know, I grew up here, but I spent some summers down in Antonito on a farm that my family ran for a long time. Uh, the T-Bone Ranch down in Antonito. So I am, you know, my heart and my soul is in the valley. And, you know, and I know that the Valley has been um, eager to want more transmission capacity coming out of the Valley and up into, you know, up into the Pueblo County where those transmission lines are to move some renewable energy opportunity into the metro area. And so one of the concerns I think that we have been doing outreach and talking with some of the local county commissioners down in the Valley is trying to help them understand why is this transmission that's being this transmission plan that's being proposed is on the eastern plains, right? So it's it's you know kind of the it's the outline of Georgia is how you know my operating president Alice Jackson has explained it. It it starts out in Weld County and it goes over into Morgan County and down to Lamar and then back over to Pueblo County. So we are missing the valley, and that I think is really critical to address and talk about because there's renewable energy opportunity from solar down in the valley and the you know the chance that we have an opportunity to build this really big transmission highway and it's not hitting the valley has definitely been something that I have been concerned about I know Ashley has been concerned about absolutely so we have been very proactive in talking with our county commissioners and our local community leaders down there as to why it's not there. And I will say that, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get a line out of the valley up over the pass, La Vida Pass, and up into the Pueblo community at a cost that we can and our customers can afford. And I'm not, you know, we are not saying that it's never going to happen. And I, you know, I was telling a couple of the county commissioners earlier this week and late last week, it's not saying that it's not ever going to happen. It's just not at this moment in time. 
And we do electric resource plans every four years. We file transmission CPCNs regularly because we always need more capacity. So it's just right at this moment, it's not the right time. And for cost reasons, to get that transmission line out of the valley and up into the area where that generation is needed. Um, is that something that you would be able to partner or is there is there a way to do it like with broadband where they're putting in grants for um, that sort of thing? Is there any way to do anything like that? I don't know. I think that's a really good thought and I would be open. Obviously, we're open to trying to explore any possible way that this makes it, econom makes it economically sensible for customers and for everybody on the system. Um, I, you know, I think that we've got to just figure out how, how to make it cost effective and what does that route look like? And is it in partnership? I mean, maybe we could be in partnership like we are on this transmission highway. Maybe it's a partnership with Tri-State. Maybe it's a partnership with co-ops. I don't know. I know that we are all thoughtful and eager and wanting to figure this puzzle out because it is complicated and figuring out how to get this line built uh, because we know of the opportunity and we know the Valley, you know, the communities want it. I mean, they are asking for it. They want to be able to have the opportunity to build large scale solar. The other piece to this is, um, you know, we have an opportunity to continue to build renewable energy in the Valley. It's just not at the level of us um, building 50 and 75 megawatt solar farms that you pull out from a transmission perspective out of the valley into Pueblo County, tying it into this you know, new transmission highway to then pull it up to where all the population is. So can we still build local community solar gardens? Can we put EVs down there? Can we do all of you know, the smaller aspects of renewable energy to enable the community to be along in this journey with us? Absolutely. It's just that larger megawatt solar, you know, solar farms is what we're trying to figure out how to pull out. And we need the transmission to be able to do that. So in Colorado, can you just put transmission lines up anywhere you want? No, we cannot. <laughs> <laughs> We cannot. So the way that we um, we work is actually it's local controlled. So each of our counties and sometimes our cities um, have a permitting process that we have to go through to get approval on the routes for the transmission lines. So um, we you know we have to work with each of these communities and figure out how to you know what the right route is. Is it impeding in economic development, you know, getting feedback from the communities, working with our landowners, and they actually work with us and tell us, okay, we don't like it over here. You got to put it over here. And we have to work actively through that process and then ultimately submitting permit applications to our communities, um, our counties. And like I said, mostly our counties, sometimes a little bit of our cities to ask for approval to put the transmission line in the route that we're asking for. So it is a very long process and we have to work really hard with our communities over a long period of time to ensure that before we go in front of our county commissioners or our city councils, that they are okay with where we are proposing that line and we can get it approved. Right. We only have a few more moments left with you, um, Holly, and I would have liked to have gotten a little bit um, deeper dive on the issue of, of jobs and is at this transformational energy plan um, it comes into effect that there's a lot of angst and worry about about jobs. What do you guys do if you can do this in one minute, what are you guys doing on that? One minute we um, we are in partnership with IBEW 111. Uh, they are great partners. I, I think that in the last you know, five years, we've had the best relationship and the best collaboration right at this moment. We are thinking about jobs and we know that that's an impact. And so we are really thinking creatively about how we can continue to put jobs in these communities. They may not look like what they do today, 
but we are thinking about how we replace those jobs and what does that mean? And it may not just be around renewable energy either. It could be all kinds of different things like a maintenance, a mechanic shop or, you know, all kinds of things that we're thinking about to try and replace those jobs because we know how important they are in the community. Thank you, Holly. Holly, thanks so much for being Thank you. with us. We appreciate having you. I can't wait to get to see you again soon, hopefully. Um, when we come back, we are going to visit about Rod Slyhoff, our friend that we talked about earlier. Um, you can call in at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that number is 866-472-5788 with your memories on Rod Slyhoff when we come right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, welcome back to Making Action Happen. Um, we just had a great conversation with Holly from XL Energy. Uh, she's always such a delight, um, and I, I love seeing her anytime, yeah. any chance we get. She's yeah, been, she's good. And, and XL Energy has been a really great partner, in part because of Ashley, but... Yeah, yeah, they're they're great, and you know they they employ a lot of people. And again, I, I mentioned it for a second that you know a lot of people here in Pueblo they don't realize that we don't get our electricity from Comanche Power Plant, um, except for Evraz. I know yeah. they do power Evraz, so um, that's one important thing. And and to get the other part that most people don't understand is the transmission lines and how it works and why you know they generate the power here, ship it up to. Denver, and then we get ours from Black Hill that comes from somewhere else, and just the dynamic of that and how complicated yes. transmission is when it yes. comes to energy, just in general. Well, and then all of the uh, the bills are being introduced, and everybody's talking about that. Um, and of course, we'll do a deep dive uh, next Friday for our energy summit. Yeah. You'll be able to, we're going to do that whole live thing, live, we're going to live stream it on yep. Facebook, and then we'll have it on our YouTube channel channel after that um we'll get into um talking about rod in just a minute but uh 
we've had some interesting things happen. And on Monday, um, I sent out, we sent out a, an open love letter um, about the ag community. And I was sort of, I did, whenever I do something like that, I don't know how it's going to be received. I, and so I sent it out, but we've had tremendous response on, on that. Um, I've, I've been shocked about it. Well, uh, for Colorado, not just Action 22's area, ag is our way of life. It funds our state. It's our largest economy here, I believe. It's number two, but it number two? Uh, it's number two. Um, but the, I think the outpouring of affection from everybody in Colorado, I thought it was so great. It wasn't just us, but everybody's really, they're making a big fuss about it. And it'll be, um, it's great because that, the last or the second to last week of March is actually Colorado Ag um, Appreciation Week, and it's also National Ag Appreciation mm -hmm. Week. So um, we're going to do some great stuff that week, and a lot of people around the state are and around the country. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. The second one thing I have to give out is so we had a great meeting with County Commissioner. Well, we had a meeting with one County Commissioner in Pueblo, or meeting with the other one. Um, with this Outshine Energy mm -hmm. and Taylor Henderson and 170, is it 174 mm -hmm. Power Global? Um, that was really a cool, um, those are some cool meetings. I learned a ton. Yeah, uh, they're involved with solar and specifically storage is what we wanted to talk about. Um, and they will be joining us on our energy summit next week to speak on behalf of um, storage when it comes to power. Uh, one thing, that you know, one argument that you hear from people um, kind of pushing back on the um, the renewable energy, you know, it's like eventually it'll happen. We just don't have the storage capacity. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that just in the past three years alone, the storage technology has grown exponentially. Um, so it, it'll be good to have them come in and address some of those concerns and just tell us what it's like now, you know, what they can and can't do, where we're standing when it comes to that. Uh, now technology has caught up. It, it, and I, think I wouldn't it, say it's caught up, but it's getting closer. Yeah. And it's gone a lot faster than we yes. thought it would get. Uh, Monday night, we were so sad to hear about Rod Slyhoff. Yes. So you tell your Rod Slyhoff story. I'll tell my Rod Slyhoff story. If you want to call in and share your Rod Slyhoff story, we encourage you to do that. But uh, And I've got a few messages that people have already sent to us to share. So Rod Slyhoff, um, he was the president CEO of the Greater Pueblo Chamber of Commerce. He's been there for as long as I can remember. Since I got in this line of work over 15 years ago, he's always been the, the head of that. Um, and the way he runs it, you know, the chamber is a nonpartisan organization, and I really appreciate that, even though I worked in politics for the past 15 years. But uh, the funniest thing that, one of many things that um, come to mind was we were at a chamber meeting. I think it was the military affairs chamber meeting. And um, sometimes when people run for office, they go to these meetings and you know, they're not supposed to, and they start passing out their campaign literature. Oh, right? yes, yes. And if you know Rod, he, he's he's always calm, and, and he addresses the situation with the level head. And I remember there was some candidate running for state house, whatever, and the person was putting out their campaign stuff, and Rod just walked by to say hello, and he never came to the meetings. Um, you know, they were early in the morning, and he didn't want to intrude. And for some reason, he stopped by that day and he kind of looked at the table and he's like, whose is this? <laughs> you know, started yelling at everybody. And he looks at me because, of course, I'm like the political guy in the room. Um, of course, it's your fault. He's like, Brian, are you are you passing this out? And I'm like, no, that's not me. I swear it's not me. And then you just saw the the kid for the, the campaign that was helping the candidate just turn ghost white and like slowly pick everything up and they stuck out. He's like, I don't ever want to see this in here again. You're not welcome. Like, chased him out. So I, I, I appreciate that. And, and of course he does the, um, you know, the legislative barbecue at the fair, which it, it's a going to those over the years and Rod always ran them. Um, it was a chance for politicians and the people running and involved just to kind of get together and have a good time. And you would see pictures with candidates that absolutely despise each other, oh. normally getting together and having a beer, eating the steak, whatever. Um, and he always, he appreciated that, but he's, 
he did a lot for Pueblo with the economic development and some of the things that came about from his tenure as president CEO. I think the thing I appreciated about him is that he was very inclusive. He just sort of, he, there was no, he didn't pull any punches. He just was who he was and it was so much fun. He made things really fun, even when it was heated like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my very first adult job was running the tiny little Greenhorn Valley Chamber of Commerce. And at the time that I got that job, I thought it was really, <laughs> that was a really big deal, but I was hired basically because I knew how to put on an event. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they had one event every year. The chamber had one event every year. And so, um, and then they had started doing a golf tournament. So then they had, a, you know, one event in the park and then one event there. And, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was really making it up as I go, as I went, I, mean- I the I only, still just make it up as yeah. I can, so. <laughs> The only training I'd ever had was I had done, a, you know, in the summers when we would go up to Alaska, um, when I was in college and, and the years after that, um, when we were up there, I would do tourism. And I was, and so that was the only training for chamber stuff that I'd had. Um, and so I was really nervous to reach out to Rod because I'd heard so much about him. And I thought, oh, he's never going to talk to me. He's never going to, he's just going to, you know, sort of pat me on my head or if it does talk to me, I just had this, you know, this image of who that was going to be. And I reached out to him and he was very generous with me at the time. And I said, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do this. And he's like, well, you, he goes, the whole thing is socializing. You need to do events, 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 and it all needs to be about socializing. And so he said, you need to do, and he told, gave me a list of events I needed to start. And for me, not knowing what I was doing and working part-time, I think I was making like 235 a week or something mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but we did, we, I ended up following exactly what he told me. So we had our annual meeting with awards and we did business after hours and we did um, lunch business during lunch. And we did all of those things. Um, and just, and he didn't just leave it at that one conversation. He made sure to check in with me. He made sure I went to all of their events and did all of that. And then he set up for us to get a little bit of a, a grant every year mm-hmm. just to keep us, keep our doors open and to keep us going. And I think that's what um, I appreciated so much about him is that he would, he would do that sort of thing. And then of course, every year, his fat Tuesday party, Yep, he would do that every single year was the fat Tuesday party. And, and not to mention, um, you know, the chili festival. Oh my That goodness, was all a yeah. brainchild of his too. And, and I used to own a business down there. And I tell you what, the Chili Festival saved us every year. That was the big thing. That's where we knew we would be okay when the Chili Festival got there. We were taken care of. And I appreciate that, that the chamber set that up. And, you know, Rod really spearheaded that. So it was sort of your Black Friday. Yep. So I was on, um, one of the things that not a lot of people know about is this uh, Colorado Cooperation. And um, it's a group and they get together. Um, they're a little bit of a, they're they're the thought leaders. They're a little bit of a, a brain trust for all of uh, um, all of Colorado, but it's the same people for years and years and years. And they get together twice a year and discuss all the issues. They talk about, you know, what will and won't work on um if they, you know, if there's any kind of ballot measures that are going to be introduced, they talk about, you know, there's always, they're always going to be talking about water and transportation and um, taxes and Tabor and all the things that we talk about. But it's, um, I mean, you have a lot of the, the old, old school heavy hitters, but you have a lot of, you know, you have some new faces every year, but you have to be invited to be a part of this. But Rod, um, worked with the the founding one of the founding people was um from pueblo and i can't remember his name right this minute but one of they would have a meeting in other places of the state and then the other meeting they have in pueblo every single Mm -hmm. year and rod put that on and so we um dave farrell who is a pueblo guy and we were on with him um the other day in a planning meeting and he said um uh he was really he was really sad. And we talked about him on this planning meeting because we'd all worked, everybody's worked for him for so many years. But he said, sent me a message. He said, he was an amazing guy and made real contribution. I have some fond memories of Rod and I could go on and on. But as a Pueblo native, dot, 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 I think that Montrose boy has earned the title of Mr. Pueblo. And I could not 
agree more with that. Um, and then Rod or Jeff uh, Shaw from Pedco sent this out yesterday. He said, it's hard to put into words the loss we feel with the passing of Rod Slyhoff. Rod's passion and advocacy for Pueblo and was contagious. Pedco has employed our or has enjoyed our participation with Rod and the chamber for over 30 years. There's no doubt Pueblo is better place because of his great leadership and love. We are hopeful we can all celebrate Rod's life and work by doing all we can to lift up Pueblo. In memory of Rod, we will tell all those who listen what an incredible community Pueblo is and remind all role, um, the role Rod played in building Pueblo into what it is today. Our hats, white Stetsons, of course, because he always wore his yep. white Stetson, come off as we pause and remember Rod. Um, and so I'll tell you, you know, his leadership was reflected in um, the devotion of his team. Mm -hmm. And the I'll tell you, everybody over there, um, Phyllis, Eva, Loretta, all of them are just really, really hurting right now. So, um, and I know that they appreciate any message that we send off out to him. So um, the phone lines are open now. If you want to call in and tell us something about um, Rod, we'd love to hear from you. It's 1-866-472-5788. So um, besides energy, what have your calls been like this week? What have what have your conversations been like this week? Um, I'm still paying attention to the federal side of things. Um, I saw that the you know the Senate and the, well the House passed the COVID relief package, the new stimulus package as they're calling it. Um, went to the Senate. They made a few compromises on it. I think they did not keep the $15 minimum wage in it. Yeah. And the reason for that, through reconciliation on a federal level, um, the budget cost of something comes into play and they just couldn't do that. So they could pass it without, you know, the two thirds of the votes without the higher minimum wage so that they had to lower that. And then the other thing I saw, they, they did adjust the limits to the stimulus checks that, you know, that's what everybody asked for. Anybody you talk to is, are we, we going to get our money that Biden promised us? Yeah. But um, they did lower the threshold on that a little bit. So you're going to see some people and families that won't get a check that may have in the past. So we'll see how that plays out. The house still has to approve it, vote it, vote for it again before it can be signed into law. And I didn't see today if they were doing that or if they're trying to do it by Friday. So tomorrow, but that should be resolved hopefully before the weekend. I think um, I saw before, before the weekend, I know that there were um, a lot of, uh, it's going to be a, a a pretty strong party line vote. Yes, I it's going to be all party what's line. The, what's the issue? What's the um, struggle that um, that they're having as far as... Um, so... Uh, talk about that a little bit. A few things. Um, one argument that you have the Republicans make on it is that this COVID package isn't doing enough to address COVID. It's addressing other things. Um, another side of it, and we talked with Congressman Tipton about it in the past, is there's still money left over that is unspent from the previous COVID packages. You still have money for the, the PPP loans, um, actually stimulus money for the checks that are supposed to go out to people. There's still some of that that didn't go out. So you look at it from more of the conservative Republican view, and they're like, look, this, this big bill is a lot of money. And... I mean, a lot of money, and we've already passed two that were a lot of money, and the monies that we passed in the previous two still have not gone, gone to the people that need it. Right. And so this third one, which is, again, a lot of money, there's programs in it, there's funding, there's monies going out that has nothing to do with the COVID. Um, it, it really doesn't. So the Republicans really, really want to see a more focused package to go directly to small businesses, directly to individu individuals. Um, instead of just this kind of broad, like here, throw a bunch more money on it. That'll make everybody happy. Uh, on the other hand, you have some Democrats that were unhappy with it because they don't think it did enough. Um, <laughs> you had some of the far left, like Bernie Sanders types and AOC that, you know, they wanted to have 2000 a month for everybody until this is done, which we don't know when it's done. Um, and you get into the, the liability issues again, which were dropped and the, the local control, the, the local funding. Um, but 
as it passes, which I completely see it passing in the House, um, it is going to bring some money down to the state. And the challenge that we're going to see for Action 22 members is when that money does come to the state, is this money going to go to where it's needed, specifically in the rural areas, specifically in our areas? Now, the last big COVID package, um, there were monies for uh, local counties, local governments, smaller rural areas. And we saw kind of how that played out where it said it was going somewhere, then it wasn't, and then said it was going to do this, and then it didn't, and then it slowly trickled down. So it'll be interesting. We need to be on it to make sure that that money, when it does come, and it will, gets to where it needs to go in our area, in rural Colorado, and make sure that you don't see 99.9% of the money going to Denver. Well, and I think what happened before is it was, here's the money, and this is it's a good problem to have is we have this money how, but the big fight is who gets to decide how that money is spent. Um, and I think, I wonder if that's not part of the problem on the federal level, that there's all this money left over, but the fight is still over who gets to decide how this money is spent. And if they spend it in the right time and the people uh, that apply for this money may have received it, which again, we saw this in Colorado and they didn't spend it in time because there was no clear definition of how they could spend the money. So they sat on it. And by the time you know it, it's gone and then they take it back. Well, and they didn't know. Yeah, we saw that a lot. It was really frustrating to watch that whole, that whole thing. And, and they'd have say, here's how much money was allotted to where, but then they didn't want to be in the position of having to pay it back because that has happened before. Yes. Um, and there's been some big problems with that. Yes. And and these guys spend the money and then they're like, oh, no, you didn't spend it right. You have to pay it back. We spent the money. Like, yeah. How are they going to give it back? So um, that is going to be a part of a lot of the conversation. So, and and the, the other, the good conservative, financially conservative in me is like, where is this money coming from? You know, it's yes. kind of one of these things. This is a lot of money. We're not talking like, a $2 billion help package. We're talking trillions of dollars over the past year when the economy may not be doing so great. It's like, is this buddy coming out of thin air? And then how is this going to be paid back eventually? Well, I wondered where the <laughs> So we always talk about how much we are in debt um, and we're getting more in debt. But um, the first package was almost $2 trillion, and this was going to be just a mm. change shy of another $2 trillion dollars and the middle one was almost a trillion and so if it's I, I can understand frustration if this is genuinely a stimulus package and there's still money floating in the air um yeah and we're going to do another two trillion and then how long is that money going to float in the air before it actually lands where it needs yeah. so um there's just one more um really heavy heavy discussion so on um, the energy is a heavy discussion. Um, how this money is going to be spent is a heavy discussion. And then like you just alluded to, how are we going to eventually pay for that? And so the whole modernization of the tax code on a state and federal level is going to be something that we're, that we are going to have to, um, there's a whole lot there. And that leads to the other big discussion going on in Colorado, and that is transportation. Mm -hmm. Everybody's talking about transportation. Everybody says, yes, we need to do something about transportation. We need to fund transportation. The big questions are, when you talk about transportation, what are you talking about? Like, what are you saying? Because some people are talking about multimodal. Some people are talking about electric cars. Um, and the infrastructure for electric cars. Some people are in our counties, most of our counties are just saying, we need the roads fixed. We yeah. need to have, so we can get to and back and forth from where we're going to be. And then there's a lot, when you look at the I-70 corridor um, and the amount of traffic, nobody, everybody skirts, Coloradans skirt I-70 when they absolutely can. Um, so it's going to be, and then that's the number one question is what aspect of transportation and then how exactly are we going to pay for that which goes into are they going to add a fuel tax are they going to change the the tax structure when it comes to transportation um, some of the things that have been proposed that we have talked about on the show that i still haven't seen yet um, you know is there going to be a gas tax is there going to be a mileage tax how is that going to impact rural colorado that basically doesn't get the funding it needs to 
take care of its roads and bridges. Already, yeah. Yes, and these roads and highways and interstates that are in southern and rural Colorado, even on the west slope, you know, they're heavily traveled by commercial trucking. Um, uh-huh. So if the, the whole structure of the fuel tax, mileage tax, whatever they want to do, how that's laid out, how is that going to impact these areas? Is it going to be good for Denver? Maybe. Is it going to be good for rural Colorado? Maybe not. But the thing is, we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen no, it yet. They haven't, they haven't dropped it. But everybody's freaking out about it. At least in our area. <laughs> they, are, they are freaking out it, about it. It goes back to the, um, the blue ribbon panel on transportation that was put together, I think, 18 years ago, 15 years ago. I remember sitting at the meeting and you had this guy come in and, and he was part of this panel. The governor at the time brought him in. He's like, we'll just do a mileage tax. He's like, so the, the way it works is you register your car every year, renew your tags. If you drive over a certain number of miles of the year, we'll add a tax onto that. And you literally saw every legislator, Democrat, Republican from rural Colorado, just kind of like their face go blank. They're like, you know, we drive 300 miles a day. They were pulling you know, pitchforks 200 miles out of places. Yeah, yeah. He, the guy I mean, was... He didn't quite get it. He was like, well, if you drive more than 36 miles a day, then we'll tax your, your driving. And, and he didn't understand that, you know, even here, just to take my kids to school, I think I drive probably 80 miles in the morning yeah. to pick them up. Yeah. No, it's a real thing. It's just hard. I think sometimes when you, your whole environment is separate from rural, it's hard to conceptualize some of the things that we take for granted are just is a normal part of our of our everyday lives. Um, So it's, these are going to be interesting conversations. Um, I'm really excited. We've been talking about this on this uh, energy summit. We've got some really tremendous um, people who are going to be, who are already, um, their sponsors already. They are. um, So let me back up really quick. The whole idea of this energy summit has been to figure out where um, I needed an education. This is really the thing. I needed personally an education because that is such a, a dynamic thing. It's something that they're doing all the t- that's changing constantly. And so I said, can we do this and maybe we can come up with some way um, to have this conversation. And uh, so we're going to do that next week. Um we're going to send out stuff and emails. We'll talk about it on the show next week because it'll be on the next day. Um, but we're going to deep dive on some of the more important issues. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about next week and a, and a few other things. Um, and just one more thing. Hey, Chad Vorthman, I know you're listening. I just wanted to let you know, let you be the first to know Pueblo County is Pebble County just passed a resolution for a uh, Colorado Ag Appreciation Day as well. And that's it. And we'll we'll see see you next next week. week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.